And now, loving, present, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, sisters and brothers, in Christ, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. When uh, Taylor, our son, was 10 years old, Tim and I put him on a plane in Dallas bound for Florida. And after visiting with his grandmother for a week in Orlando, he, both of them together flew back to Texas so that mom could then spend a week with us in Waco. And so on the day when they were returning, I drove the two hours from Waco up to Dallas to pick them up, gave myself plenty of time, arrived at the terminal, parked the car, located the baggage claim area where we had planned to meet, and waited, and waited, and waited some more. And their flight arrived, and lots of people came down to baggage claim, picked up their luggage, and departed. I stood there as fewer and fewer suitcases came around on the carousel, and then I saw Mom and Taylor's suitcases appear, and then my flip phone rang. It was my mother. Hi, honey. Her voice had this kind of pent-up quality uh, in it, kind of like the little Dutch boy with his finger in the dam. You know there's a lot of something on the other side of hi, honey. You're just not really sure what it is. Turns out I didn't have to ask. My mother just blurted out, I've lost Taylor. Now you have to understand, I want to say a word in my mother's defense, she is the most competent, capable, organized person on the planet. She taught in middle school and high school for years, led hundreds of students around the world on various trips. But when it came to curiosity and inquisitiveness and a penchant for wandering off, all the teenagers in the world were no match in an airport with, for 10-year-old Taylor Pennington Russell. It took 50 minutes and just about that many airport personnel to locate him, but we did locate him, much to our relief. He's actually here today. You should give him a hug. <laughs> Today's story from the cross really is the final scene in a collection of episodes between a mother and her son. And it could be argued that this is the moment in which Mary loses Jesus. But I think if you were to ask Mary, I'm pretty sure she would tell you, I was losing him my whole life. It's been said that raising your child is the process of losing your child, and never was that truer of anyone than it was of Mary. When Jesus was 12, he disappeared for a day, not in an airport, but in the whole city of Jerusalem. I'm sure that awful, dreaded lump came to Mary's throat. It took Mary and Joseph three days to find him. And when they did, it was only to hear him say to his very own parents that where he belonged was in his father's house. And you have to wonder, what was it that moment when Mary began to realize that this son whom she loved so much was not hers to keep? Have you ever imagined Mary and Jesus uh, in the days when they were simply mom and little boy? 
I like to do that sometimes just to remind myself that they really did have a relationship beyond the snapshots we get of them in Scripture. I imagine Mary playing peekaboo at the breakfast table, kissing his cuts and wiping his nose, serving warm baklava and milk for his buddies after school, maybe. Was she a first century soccer mom? Did she take him to vacation Torah school in the summertime? And then as Jesus got older, what was it like for her to see him plunge deeper and deeper into his life's purpose, into God's mission for him? More and more, he belonged not to her, but to his purpose and to his God. One day, when Jesus was an adult, Mary needed him, and she and her other sons went out to find him, stood outside the place where he was teaching, and then finally sent someone inside to get him. And when he wouldn't come out, was it hurtful to her that he pointed to a crowd of people she didn't even know and say, where are my mother and brothers? Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my mother and sister. Mary cherished, I'm sure, whatever moments he gave her. And I believe there were those kinds of tender, loving moments between them. But what an aching hunger she must have had for so long for more of Jesus with her. And then, in a heartbreaking wave of events, comes the end. She receives the unthinkable news, your son's been arrested. I think of all the mothers who've heard those terrifying words. Mary, Jesus has been condemned. Jesus has been condemned and taken to be executed. And so sick at her stomach, shaking with fear, she makes her way through the streets. And as she ran, I wonder, did the words of old Simeon echo in her mind and heart? Simeon, who not long after Jesus' birth, blessed Mary and Joseph and the baby, and then looking deep into Mary's eyes, said to her, Mary, this child of yours will cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. The child will be like a warning sign. Many people will reject him, said Simeon, and you, Mary, will suffer as though you'd been stabbed through the heart. Mary's sister goes with her to the cross, along with two sympathetic friends and one other. The fourth gospel tells of one disciple whom Jesus especially loved and who dearly loved him back. We usually identify this beloved disciple as John, Zebedee's boy, because in the fourth gospel it comes to us with John's name on it, but, but the truth is we don't know who this disciple was. Whatever his name, we always see him standing as close to Jesus as possible. And so now, sick with grief and fear, he runs to the place of execution along with the women. And when they all arrive at that terrible hill where three crosses stand, and their eyes take it in, can you imagine all that must have died inside of them that day? A young man looks at his beloved teacher and friend. A mother looks at her dear, beautiful son with nails through his hands and feet. Mary begins to weep and something in us wants to avert our eyes. This grief is so deep and personal. 
the thing is, in a way, it's our grief too. Because all our grief has a place at the foot of this cross. Our grief over everyone we've loved who is gone from us now. Our grief over every dashed hope of getting it right down here. Over every disappoint, disappointed dream of what life was really supposed to be like, but it hasn't turned out that way at all. The news today, friends, is that you can do your crying here. Your tears are welcome at the foot of this cross. And from his cross, Jesus sees this weeping. It's heartbreaking to see people you love grieving for you. And I believe Jesus especially grieved for his mother that day. Someone has said that in loving Mary from the cross, just as surely as he was forgiving the world, Jesus was forgiving her for wanting him so much and for understanding him so little. Even saviors of the world have to forgive their mothers and fathers sometime. So now he speaks to her. And you might expect him in this moment to say something comforting to his mother and to his friend, or some word of explanation maybe, or hope or anything that will make this easier to bear, but, but he doesn't. He says only this to his mother, woman, here is your son. And to his friend, here is your mother. That's all he says. But can you see what a wonderfully practical word this is, in fact? Seeing to it that a widow is provided for and given a home. Jesus is a faithful son to the end. Not sentimentalizing over his mother, but arranging for her care after he's gone. We who want to follow Jesus in this world keep trying to make him some abstract, ethereal savior who, who gives us something spiritual to feel, like benevolent goodwill. But friends, Jesus is determined to keep turning us back around towards love, which is stubbornly specific, personal, and concrete. You take care of my mother. You feed that hungry man. Put a roof over that family. Help that woman find a job. Teach him how to read. Give that lonely teenager some gospel for her hope. His is a love you do. And even when he finds you in tears, he gives you a love to do. And from his own cross, by giving his mother and his dear friend to each other, he's answering the deepest need each of them has. Now, what they want from him is that he never leave. That's what they want. What he gives them is each other. Do you see how he's sort of writing his last will and testament from the cross? Mother, I bequeath to you my dear friend to be your son. Friend, I, be I bequeath to you this woman to be your mother. Holy Spirit's working in this world is a deep and abiding mystery, make no mistake. But I believe, because I've seen it too many times to count, that God doesn't work alone. 
The Spirit is always calling people, all kinds of people, to be Christ with skin on down here, to care and reach and bring comfort to people the way Jesus did when he was here in the flesh. When we lived in San Francisco some years ago, I, take, I took a week-long preaching course uh, at the Graduate Theological Union across the bay over in Berkeley. And the class was taught by Tom Long, uh, who I think was still at Princeton at the time. Excellent class, great learning experience for me. But one of the requirements for the week, because it was a preaching class, was that each person in the class preach a sermon to the others in the group. And of course, everybody was nervous, you know, me included. Even pastors get nervous about preaching in front of our peers, and especially in front of Tom Long, who had just been named by Baylor as one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world. No pressure. We were really nervous in some ways, but, but I remember one woman, a young pastor named Liddy, who was absolutely terrified about preaching. And she was to preach on the very last day of the seminar, and though all of us encouraged her through the week, when the moment came, Liddy was nearly paralyzed with fear. Even so, at the appointed time, Liddy took her place behind that little makeshift pulpit and began her message. And early in the message, she began telling a story of one of her childhood Sunday school teachers who had made a real difference in her young life. And as she told of how this uh, teacher's encouragement and witness had led to her own conversion, Liddy began to weep. And I think it was a combination of factors, the truly moving story and the memory that she shared, along with her nervousness about preaching, that somehow just overwhelmed her. She stood in the pulpit sobbing and couldn't stop. And the rest of us were desperate. To, to show our care and our love, but we didn't know what to do until one of our classmates, an older African-American pastor named Rose, stood, crossed the floor, and quietly pulled up a chair directly behind Liddy. And without saying a word, Rose placed a hand squarely against Liddy's back. She bowed her head and the hand remained against Liddy's back and the effect was immediate. We could see Liddy take a breath and close her eyes for a moment and then she leaned into that sermon with a palpable confidence and strength. And eventually Rose removed her hand from Liddy's back and she remained there just seated quietly behind the preacher with her head bowed until the sermon was finished and then without a word she got up and returned to her seat. I can't begin to communicate to you all that it's meant to me in moments of anguish or fear or grief to feel the strengthening presence of a brother or sister coming to press a supportive hand against my back. Sometimes the smallest encouraging word or gesture has been just the thing that God has used to put me back on my feet and move me forward. 
And I want you to know that Tim and I, along with Taylor and Lucy, have felt your hands at our back this very week as we received news of Tim's cancer. Some of you in this room know all too well what kind of moment that feels like. And we are boundlessly blessed to be surrounded by such a circle of love and care and prayer, truly. Friends, in the most remarkable gift of grace, God has given us one another to be a strengthening hand against each other's backs. Now, of course, this doesn't remove all our grief. It doesn't. Mary's heart was pierced that day, just as Simeon had predicted years before. Wounds like that you carry with you the rest of your life. But Mary walked away from the cross that day, leaning on the shoulders of a young man who also was grieving, and neither of them was alone. So what if we joined them, the mother and the dear friend of Jesus? What if we joined them? I invite you to join me today in walking from his cross together today, knowing that we belong to one another. We do. And let's walk away most of all eager to go out and find our fellow weepers out in the world and offer them the same gift because no one needs to be an orphan now. No one. By the gift of God, friends, here are your mothers and fathers, your sons and your daughters, your sisters and your brothers. This is the gift of God for us in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.